You're listening to Randall Wallace Presents, formerly Bridging the Political Gap, the number one American history podcast of 2024 by Feedspot.com. Randall Wallace presents Nixon and Watergate Special Event. The Democratic National Committee is trying to solve a spy mystery. It began before dawn Saturday when five intruders were captured by police inside the offices of the committee in Washington. The five men carried cameras and apparently had planted electronic bugs. One of them had several crisp new $100 bills in his pocket. The Democrats say they have no idea who would want to spy on them. Mr. Nixon says emphatically that the White House is in no way involved in the burglary and bugging of the Democratic headquarters, and he'll have no further comment on that matter. Mr. Nixon made these points. He admits that overzealous workers in his own re-election committee may have been involved in the Watergate bugging caper. The Washington Post reported today that the FBI has established that high Republican officials had ordered a major political campaign of spying and sabotage against the Democrats to reassure President Nixon's re-election this year. And as part of that campaign, said the Post, the Democratic National Headquarters was bugged with electronic surveillance equipment last June. That was the so-called Watergate affair. But according to the newspaper, that was only one phase of a much more ambitious effort by the Republican hierarchy. First, it was called the Watergate caper. People have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. The Watergate affair began to look less minor when along with the five, two other men were indicted. If any or all of what is alleged to have been going on is true, how high up in the White House does it go? I regret that I must today name others who participated with me in the Watergate affair. The basic question at issue today is whether the president personally acted improperly in the Watergate matter. We leave with high hopes, in good spirit, and with deep humility. Welcome, everybody. I'm Randall Wallace, your host for Nixon and Watergate, and this is a Nixon and Watergate special event. Uh, The debate 50 years in the making, uh, as we have two of the most accomplished and distinguished attorneys in America, Jill Winebanks, who was on the Watergate special prosecutors team, and Jeff Shepard, who was on the President Nixon's defense team. He was a special assistant to the lead attorney, Fred Bazart, who was uh, an aide to Strom Thurmond, uh, those of you from South Carolina where we do these shows. Uh, but this is 50 years in the making, an incredible debate. It was filmed on June 17th, 2022, uh, the 50th anniversary of the Watergate break-in. And to my knowledge, it's the first time 
uh, these uh, two combatants or any of the Watergate Special Prosecutor's Office and the defense team have had a chance to debate this in person, head-to-head, face-to-face. It's going to be, and it is, it's an incredible hour. On this, our pre-show, we're going to have some commentary. We're going to take a look at both of these attorneys and uh, their resumes and a look at them in action. And it is just going to be an exciting uh, few moments as we get ready. The battle between Jill Weinbanks and Jeff Shepard coming up on this Nixon and Watergate special event. What did the president know and when did he know it? Because people have got to know whether or not their president is a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I shall resign the presidency effective at noon tomorrow. Joe Weinbanks joins us, a former Watergate assistant special prosecutor. Jeff Shepard joins us, was the principal deputy to President Nixon's lead lawyer during Watergate. John, do I get equal time here? Because there is nothing that Jeff said that I would agree with. Oh, no, and it all came back. And it turns out it's worse than, than Jill described. The fish stinks from the head. And so there's just a lot of things there that are just not true. In, in a significant event, the Kennedy assassination, the landing on the moon, the facts don't always align. Say it loud, say it often, and people believe it. Internal documents from the special prosecutor's office. And those documents undercut the whole narrative that we've been told since 1974. These documents that uh, Jeff is referring to, they have long since been debunked and denied. There is no truth to them. Is the White House never uh, ignored the law, never blatantly disobeyed the law. I mean, they, they were breaking, there was cover-up. There's no question about that. It's sort of like saying, well, other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how did you like the play? Prosecutors vs. the Nixon Defense Team From C-SPAN's Washington Journal A debate a half century in the making Because only if you've been in the deepest valley Can you ever know How magnificent it is To be on the highest mountain I think one of the first things that we need to do on on our uh, this show is introduce you to the two combatants that will be going at it on the Washington Journal. First, I thought we would take a look at Jill Weinbanks. She has an extraordinary resume. Uh, went to the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, a Columbia Law School graduate, uh, one of the first female lawyers in the Justice Department in the Organized Crime Division. Uh, she, of course, served on the Watergate Special Prosecutors Task Force. Uh, in 1977, she was appointed by President Jimmy Carter as the general counsel to the Army. In 1987, she was the first female executive director of the American Bar Association, a position she served for many, many years. And then she went on to be the vice president at Motorola and later at Maytag. 
And she has recently, in the last few years, written a book, uh, The Watergate Girl, My Fight for Justice Against a Criminal President. Uh, and she's a legal analyst on MSNBC. And she has a website, jillwinebanks.com, uh, where you can get a copy of her book if you want to. Uh, and I thought we'd take a look at her in action on MSNBC. She actually uh, has a lot of trial experience, and, and it's, you, it shows. She did bring her on on MSNBC quite often. So I thought we'd put together a little bit on Jill Winebanks, just so you could see her in action, talking about everything from Watergate to our relatively current situations, whether it be January 6th, or uh, or uh, some things to do with the Donald Trump administration. So here we go. There's Joe Weinbanks. During our discussion now, Joe Weinbanks, former assistant Watergate special prosecutor and an MSNBC legal analyst. She is the author of the new book, The Watergate Girl. I would say that Nixon was vindictive and he retaliated against anyone he saw as not being loyal to him. I think it was a question of two things. One, it was morality, mm -hmm. and we'd have to look at Elliot Richardson, who was the Attorney General, who refused to fire the special prosecutor because he had promised Congress... Republican Elliot Richardson. Republican appointed by the President, but he said, I told Congress I wouldn't fire him except for cause. There is no cause. So Nixon fired him. And then the Deputy Attorney General, Ruckelshaus, refused to do the same task assigned to him, and he was fired. And it was Hork, who was the third person, the Solicitor General, who did the firing, and who never became a Supreme Court Justice, in large part because he did the dirty deed. But it's also because of the media. Back then, we had three networks, and they all had the same facts. Now, you have what are called alternative facts, which are lies, basically. They can't be alternative facts. There are facts and there are non-facts. And people actually believe what Donald Trump says, even though it's contradicted by evidence in plain sight. You know, I was one of the prosecutors who thought that a sitting president could be indicted back during the Watergate era, and I still think the same today. But we were advised that we could not do that and so we took this other method of using the, the roadmap. but i think that had richard nixon been criminally indicted rather than just being an unindicted co-conspirator in the indictment of his aides maybe donald trump would have learned a lesson maybe donald trump wouldn't do what he's doing and so to say you cannot go after any person is to say someone is above the law and I think whether it's subpoenaing a member of Congress for their testimony or whether it's indicting a member of Congress or the president, it has to be done. Otherwise, it looks partisan to me. Uh, Leon Jaworski called me lady lawyer no matter how many times I asked him not to. And he would say, but I'm so proud of you and I want people to know. And I said, Leon, you're introducing me in person. They can see <laughs> if you say I'm a lawyer. And he just kept on doing it. In court, um, I had sexist comments uh, put to me when I was cross-examining Rosemary Woods. Judge Sirica interrupted with, now, ladies, we have enough problem in this courtroom without two women arguing. And, you know, blood drained from my face, but you can't say anything to the judge. You, you just have to keep on going. This is a plan 
to take over the government, a plan to undo the vote of the people, a free and fair election. This is not a way for democracy to survive. And what the report from the January 6th committee shows is that Mark Meadows is guilty on his own. It's not that he's just a witness to what the president knew and when he knew it. But as you pointed out, and you did a great introduction to this, you pointed out he sent an email, he received this email, he met with Waldron multiple times. He did so many things that implicate him in wrongdoing. Um, and his lawyer is claiming that, well, he's just following the orders of the former president. But the court has already ruled in terms of the former president's documents, which the former president exerted claims over, that he cannot do that. That the only president we have, who is President Biden, has waived privilege. And in fact, Mark Meadows never had any privilege because conversations about a coup on January 6th are criminal in nature and are not part of the job of the president. And executive privilege only applies to conversations that are about the job of the president. During Watergate, the system worked. He ended up resigning. He was forced out of office. And now we have the Republicans in the Senate saying not guilty. Oh, yes, there's enough evidence to show that he committed all the acts that are charged. But then they said the words not guilty. And that's terrible. Now, looking across the uh, the table from her are, is Jeff Shepard, who is uh, one of Richard Nixon's uh, defense attorneys. He was an assistant to Fred uh, Bazart. He went to Whittier College, the same institution that produced President Richard Nixon, which is how he had a connection to the Nixon White House. Uh, he went to Harvard Law School. Uh, he was a White House fellow in 1969. And he was assigned to the Treasury Department. He then went to work for John Ehrlichman's domestic staff uh, and ended up uh, rising to the level of uh, assistant director of that staff. He served on the Watergate defense team, as we said earlier, uh, under its lead attorney, uh, Fred Bazart. And he actually is the person who transcribed the White House uh, tapes. He spent 35 years in the insurance industry. Senior, he was senior vice president and corporate uh, secretary at the Cigna Corporation, then became VP at uh, the Reliance Insurance Company and, pre and the president of the uh, corporation division of the Karen Barth Associates. Um, he's written three books, The Secret Plot to Make Ted Kennedy President, The Real Watergate Scandal, Collusion, Conspiracy, and the Plot That Brought Nixon Down, and his latest book, uh, The Nixon Conspiracy, Watergate, and the Plot to Remove the President. These are three outstanding books. And you can go to his website, shepherdonwatergate.com, and you get access to all three books and an enormous amount of documentation about uh, what happened during the Watergate scandal and uh, the alleged misconduct that has led to an actual misconduct uh, complaint uh, at the Justice Department. Uh, we have not heard what the uh, where that is at. But uh, it is it is sitting there in the Biden administration, and I don't know whether they're holding it up or what. But um, it needs to really be looked at if you look at the overwhelming amount of evidence there. But that's uh, neither here nor there for this show. This is going to be an exciting night 
Um, and here is a look at Jeff Shepard in action from several of his lectures so that you get a feel for what a great debater he actually is. Nowhere came this smoking gun tape from June 23rd, 1972, right after the Watergate break-in. Nobody knew about it. There was nothing else having to do with it. It was a big surprise to the lawyers. Lawyers made a mistake. To my great shame, the lawyers misinterpreted the tape, demanded it be released. It was, it destroyed Nixon's credibility, and he resigned three days after its release. But that juxtaposition of we were all geared up to fight here and this thing popped down. And, and what started it was doubt about that thing. And I started learning stuff from other authors and other uh, uh, analysts. But in my view, and I'll go up against anybody with this view, he's told about the blackmail on Wednesday, March 21st by John Dean. The next, and, the, and the answer of that meeting is get John Mitchell down here from New York. Let's figure out what on earth to do. They meet again that evening, and they're still, they don't know what to do. Mitchell's coming down the next day. They think Mitchell's guilty as he can be, uh, and the goal is get Mitchell to take a fall. That's how we're going to get out from under this. But the next day, Mitchell's not interested in taking a fall. And what they come up with is we'll send John Dean to Camp David, right there on the tape. He will write a report. He'll write a report of what he told me the day before. And I will use that report to call for a new investigation, and I won't claim executive privilege. My staff will have to go back. I maintain the special prosecution force, the special prosecutor, was hugely political and did a whole series of improper things. But the one thing that jumps out, and it's a little hard to see the red from the black on the screen, seven of the eight senior members of the prosecution staff had all worked together in Robert Kennedy's Department of Justice. This was a team, top flight lawyer, a team that was the creme de la creme of the opposition. What President Nixon did not envision, which is what happened, uh, a staff of 100 people, 60 of whom ended up being lawyers over the course of its life, uh, 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 four-year life, uh, uh, there were 60 lawyers who came through with nothing better to do than investigate the Nixon presidency. Now, you may work for a company. Uh, your company, you may think, is law-abiding. I can tell you, you could not withstand that kind of assault from your principal competitor. You just couldn't do it. So what I maintain in my book is this highly partisan special prosecution staff operating totally without restraint. The condition was total and absolute independence of the Department of Justice. They, they reported, if to anyone at all, to Senator Kennedy on the Senate Judiciary Committee. And they launched brand new investigations designed to destroy the Nixon presidency, to investigate every aspect of the presidency, to cripple Republican fundraising. They sent the FBI or the IRS to interview major Republican contributors and to investigate 1976 opponents. 
second political vote, party line vote, was they would not investigate any other presidential election except 1972. Now, there's substantial reason to believe the other side was wiretapping in 1968, 1964, and 1960, but those were off the table. So you had, from the outset, a political witch hunt. So I, I listened to all these tapes. I've worried about this for a long time. I don't think he knew what was going on. His lawyer, John Gingrich, was dirty, was involved, intimately involved in the cover. At what point does a CEO or a family decide their lawyer is corrupt and has led them astray? By the time you figure it out, you've been involved. And if the lawyer suddenly claims, oh, we were all in it together, they knew what I was doing, how do you defend yourself? So what do we know? Well, this is where we started. Much of what you've been told about Watergate's untrue. President Nixon was driven from office by false representations of highly partisan Democratic prosecutors who colluded with both trial and appellate judges. Bob Haldeman, John Ehrlichman, John Mitchell were denied any semblance of a fair trial. The fix was in, the dice were loaded, the deck was stacked. So what? You know, it's 40 years, so they cheated. This is Hillary's question on Benghazi. What difference at this point does it make? Well, I will tell you what difference it makes. Thank you. I will tell you what difference it makes. They cheated, they got red-handed, and there have to be consequences. And that's what the book starts. There have to be consequences. Because those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And this applies to liberals and conservatives alike. Because if it was done to Republicans in a time of intense political conflict, if our Bill of Rights could not withstand political pressure, it could be done to Democrats next time out. If the rules don't apply to some, then they don't apply to all. The, the theory of a fair trial, most Americans will tell you that even the most despised criminal deserves a fair trial. We give them a fair trial and then we hang them. It's very, very simple. But they get a fair trial. And these people were consistently denied a fair trial. So what do we want? Well, we want the cover-up verdicts to be vacated. They're hopelessly tainted. And that shouldn't be that hard, not after my book has come out. And the second thing, we want the truth. Let's get the truth out about Watergate. everybody this is uh we're gonna head into it now a look at watergate 50 years into making this debate and we're very excited this is i'm gonna tell you a barn burner of a debate it, it was really worth the hour and we're excited to rebroadcast it to you right here on nixon and watergate and we'll be back with a post show uh, and take a look at how it went with analysis and highlights of the hour shepherd Verse Wine Banks.
thank you for listening to Bridging the Political Gap. If you've liked what you've heard, please share it. And we would love to hear from you and your thoughts on, on our show. So if you'd like to, please leave a review wherever you get your podcast. And until next time, thanks again, and so long for now.